Come on, church, help me to say hi to those who are watching online real quick. Give them a great hand. Thanks for joining us today. You know, it's pretty amazing what's happening in technology in our world and how easy it is to connect. And so if you've been checking us out all over the world or even in our, our, our city right here, we want to invite you to come uh, and join us in person. We have a great city to come eat some great food, right? Y'all, we love to pass a good time. We want to invite you to join us in person. And I think maybe, maybe in the next few weeks, it's a great time to come to church. As I mentioned earlier about Easter, we prayed for everybody, but I didn't even tell you when the service times were. So I thought I would tell you that next weekend, we've got three opportunities these Saturdays, 6 p.m. to invite a friend. Pretty excited about that service. And so if, you, if you're one of those, you've got lots of family obligations on Sunday and you're trying to figure out how you're going to fit it all in, join us 6 p.m. on Saturday. What the worship team has prepared is a beautiful time from beginning to end of how it's all going to weave together and how the message is going to impact you. And we're going to celebrate. We're going to give Jesus, right, the party of all parties because what he did in that uh, and what we celebrate in this time is really recognizing probably the most pivotal point in our Christian history, his death, burial, and resurrection. So Saturday, 6 p.m., Sunday, 9 a.m., 10.30 a.m. Look at your neighbor real quick and say, you better be there, right? You better be there, right? I also want to remind you that, that it's, it's going to be a Sunday with lots of things going on. And so for those of you that this is home and you, you're here every week, uh, get here early. Move to the middle or sit to the side. Help our ushers out. Come on. Our, our ushers told me last week, could you help a brother out, right? Like, could you, could you push to the center? Because here's the deal. It's a Sunday where someone's going to sit in your seat, all right? It's going to happen. And, and so you need to act like a Christian next Sunday, all right? When they sit in your seat and, and make room for them and make it easier. We're going to put out some extra seats. We're going to do the best we can. But it's going to be a big Sunday to celebrate. And then just insider info, we haven't, we haven't said this publicly, the Sunday after, we're having an after-church party. Yeah. It's happening. It's happening. There's an after-church party at our new property, y'all. Yeah. So come on, that's exciting, right? So it's like, go, it's like Sunday's going to a wedding. You're going to come here for church, and then you're going down the road for the party. Can y'all handle this? You did it for a wedding. You could do it for Jesus, all right? And so it's going to be one party after two services on Sunday. Come ready. I mean, not, yeah, two services on Sunday. I was like, my brain just went somewhere else, right? Uh, that's happening the weekend after Easter. Last but not least, before we conclude our Sound Doctrine series, yesterday, we had 14 different projects happen, serving projects around our city. Brought you a couple of pictures just to celebrate. Can we give God some praise for what he did under the bridge? Come on, feeding the homeless. Come on, give it the next praying, praying. Look at this. I love these spiritual moments. These are some great serving in Columbia Park. Come on, Miss Susie. Come on, taking care of the elderly there and serving them. This is in, in City Park with all that was going on there. We were t t giving away free water and talk. And then we beautified Paris Avenue. We cleaned some sidewalks. We did some work. And, and then I told our team, I said, I don't know how this happened, but every picture they picked, I was in it. Did y'all notice that, right? I just want you to know your pastor's Superman. I was flying. I was flying to 14 different places. No, I did not do a single project. 
Gotta confess. Is that okay? Confession is good for the soul, bad for the reputation. I, I, I put up a fence. Okay. That's what I did. All right. In the last 20 minutes. Because I got to go. Listen, it's so powerful as your pastor. Can I just tell you how powerful it is for me to see you serving God? And the 14 leaders who said, I'm going to take that. They're not on our staff. They said, you know, I'm, that's my project. And this is my place. Can we honor the serve day? Come on. Big deal. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Before we ever had a service in this room, you know what we did? We served. We cut the grass as we walked down the block. We picked up the trash because if you want to care for someone, you've got to show them that care because the old saying is they don't care how much you know till you show how much you care. And when you serve someone and just love them unconditionally, that's the best way to invite someone to the gospel. Be a Christian, live it out. And so that's what we've been doing. The last six weeks, we've been studying sound doctrine. And so like a good pastor, yesterday I was riding with my kids on our way to get a snowball. Come on, somebody, right? I, I just confession again. I went to get snowball two nights in a row. I did it. Whew. Trouble, trouble. And my wife's been so good. She has said no two nights in a row. She's like, I'm not doing that. But my kids are like the devil. They keep coming by and they're like, let's go get a snowball, dad. You need a snowball. How about a snowball? And so I may fall in the ditch a third night. I just want y'all to know, okay? Yesterday when I was riding with my daughter, I was, I was asking her about this series that we're in, Sound Doctrine, and she's like, what is that? And I thought, man, I'm doing a terrible job. <laughs> and my 11-year-old's like, I don't know what that is, you know? And she, she remembered just about, she remembered a point from every message. She's like, oh yeah, I remember that, the Bible and, and salvation. Like we went through it. She remember, she's like, but I still don't know what Sound Doctrine is. And so if you're like my 11-year-old, we're all like 11-year-olds sometimes, aren't we? Sound just means healthy. That's what it means. It means like you're healthy. So when you had a broken arm, it's not sound anymore. But when it gets whole and healthy, it becomes sound. And doctrine is just another word for teaching. So we have, we're just spending six weeks going back to healthy teaching, right? Things that will nourish you. Our key verse, and it should probably be a memory verse for you, is First Timothy chapter 4, verse 6. I want every person, come on, read it aloud, not a soft, come on, read it aloud. Be a good servant of Christ Jesus, constantly nourished on the words of the faith and of the sound doctrine which you have been following. That's what we're doing every week, just sound doctrine. And even after the series ends, you know what the following week is? It won't be called sound doctrine. The following week is Easter, y'all, okay? It's not gonna be called sound doctrine, but you know what it is? It's sound doctrine. And what we do as a church family is we come back to celebrate and glorify God and teach the principles of God's word to those who are learning and growing. And that should be all of us for all of our lives. There isn't a point here at One Hope where you've arrived. You say, well, one day when I become an elder, listen, when you become an elder, you, you need to learn more. You need to grow more. You need to be challenged more. Regardless of your station in life, we're constantly nourishing these things in our lives. To conclude this series, we're going to jump into talking about and really trying to answer what things you need to know about the end times. There's been all sorts of questions. If you just throw up the Google and say end times, you're going to get thousands of ideas and prophecies. And what about this one? And what about that one? And, and, and you know, it's like for finally REM song is like popular again. It's the end of the world. 
And we know it, right? And, and so unfortunately, as I said last week, we don't feel fine. Everyone's scared and worried and kind of trying to figure out what to do. Today, I want to do the best I can to just help you to be confident that we are in the end. And we have been in it since Jesus left. And we will be in it until he comes back. But you can be confident and not be afraid. Probably the best passages to read to help you to grow in understanding this is Matthew chapter 24 and 25. And we begin in Matthew chapter 24, verse 3. It said, later, later Jesus sat on the Mount of Olives and his disciples came to him privately and said, tell us when all this will happen. I want you to notice that first word later because they had heard Jesus talking about this end time stuff and they had asked him some questions and like a good friend, Jesus decided not to text them back till three hours later, all right? <laughs> Will you answer our questions? And I'm so thankful that the disciples weren't bashful because they asked the same questions I think we would ask. They said, tell us when this is gonna happen. What sign will signal your return and the end of the world? And Jesus, he explained it to them, like we say down in the South, right? Jesus told them, don't let anyone mislead you, for many will come in my name claiming I am the Messiah, and they will deceive many. So just so you know, if someone's having to say, I'm the Messiah, I'm the Messiah, I'm the Messiah, you should go the other direction. Because when Jesus breaks the eastern sky, you won't have to say, is that him? You won't have to say, I don't know, is that God? No, no, no. Listen, the whole world will recognize. He says, and you will hear of wars and threats of wars, but don't panic. Yes, these things must take place, but the end won't follow immediately. Nation will go to war against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in many parts of the world, but all this is only the first of the birth pains with more to come. Thanks, Jesus. Could you be a little more positive? It's like, hey, could you be po more positive, God? Yeah, I'm positive this is the way it's going to go. When you read Matthew 24, doesn't it make you think that he's talking about today? I mean, just open Twitter or Instagram or, or any news station. There's wars and rumors of wars and there's famines and earthquakes and food shortages that may be happening in the world. And Jesus said, hey, don't panic. Don't panic in this situation because these things are just the beginning of some things. So instead of panic, what should we have? We should have confidence. Instead of fear and worry, we should have confidence that the God of the Old Testament who fulfilled hundreds and hundreds of prophecies, what he said then, he'll do it again, right y'all? But for some reason, for some reason, we're, we're like squirrels running back and forth in our society, right? You ever seen a squirrel trying to chase an acorn? It's kind of amusing. There's no such thing as a straight line. You ever seen one run into the road and look at you and then go the other way? This is what's happening in our culture right now. 
in regards to our faith. And today I just want to speak seriously with you for just a moment about some of the things that are happening in our world. Because the foundations of our nation are being eroded. And there's this popular belief today that just like the Empire State Building, that we can build this massive building and that at any moment we can just tear the foundation out and shove in a new foundation and everything will be okay. Well, just like any building, if you're going to change out the foundation, if you don't do it well and if you don't do it correctly, there's immediate collapse. And that's what's happened in our culture, this constant doomsday preaching. It's all, it's the end of the world and we know it. It's all about to collapse. But I would say to you today that, that yes, the foundations of our nation are being challenged. But God has called us to stand up in the face of those things and not cower in fear, but do the work we're called to do in faith. Because our world and our nation needs people of faith more than ever before. Our world is desperate for you to know what you believe and to believe it strongly and hold to the foundation because if not, there will be pain and more pain in our world. Pastor, you're preaching doom and gloom. No, I'm not. Our nation was founded on a Judeo-Christian ethic, meaning we were not founded to force Christianity down anyone's throat. We were founded on a value and a belief in God so that people could choose to follow God and not have to. If you look at the foundation of our nation, they were fleeing England that was tyrannical in regards to their faith and they used their faith in God as a way to manipulate and control people so much so that the way they were going to make the world Christian is that they were going to launch a crusade and you're either going to confess Christ or die. Can I tell you the crusades never worked? Amen, everybody? That's why when Jesus showed up, he didn't try to overthrow the government. He decided he wanted to overthrow your heart. He decided to do something on the inside of us because he knew that if he did the work in here, that it would come out out here in our lives. And what our nation needs as we're struggling to determine who we are going to continue to be is not for us to shrink back and say, well, should I say I'm a Christian? Can I just tell you, if you have to announce you are, there may be some problems going on, y'all. Because the Bible says that the world should see it. They should see that when it starts rocking to and fro, that you've got peace in the midst of a storm, that you've got grace in the midst of trouble, that you, instead of anxiety, you've got hope in your life. Why? Because you're a child of the Most High God and you've been nourished on some words. You've been nourished on some faith and some truth that's holding you strong in the face of these storms. With these wars that are going on, you can see that in the really the past 20 to 40 years that our nation has risen to being what I would call the world's ethical policeman. Albeit imperfect, America is not perfect. We still had a moral standard that would oppose genocidal maniacs. Amen, everybody. We had a nation that would oppose crazy things and starting wars for no reason whatsoever. But the tension you're feeling is now for who is going to be the number one world power? Who is going to stand in the place of authority? And some of y'all say, Pastor, you're going deeper than I expected. I am. There's, there are two other nations, there's Russia and China, who are trying to dethrone an ethical leadership model in the world. We're not perfect. Did y'all hear me say that? I'll say it again. America is not perfect. 
But that Judeo-Christian ethic for over 200 years has provided a foundation that has allowed us to be the most helpful and the most powerful nation in the world. And under our leadership, the gospel has flourished in the world. And what is happening in our world is trying to topple our moral authority because we've allowed our ethics to change in our nation at such a level that other crazy countries can say, see, they don't have a right to tell you what to do. See, they don't have a right to go that direction. And so there is a struggle. I don't think that Russia is going to become the world power. They're so near collapse already. But the people we should consider is what is happening in China and whether or not they should become the world's most powerful nation. I think it's a healthy question. And I think it's something we as a people should challenge. You say, well, pastor, I I understand you've kind of, you've taken us right into CNN and MSNBC right now. And I avoid those all the time. I understand. I'm not here to preach doom and gloom. I'm here to give you truth and hope. I'm here to speak some things to you because more than ever, our nation needs you to be constantly nourished and to express sound doctrine to the world. Because if we continue the direction we're going, there is going to be more pain in the world. You say, well, pastor, that's, you said you're going to give me truth and hope. Here it is. Jeremiah chapter 18. Listen to the promise of God. If at any time I announce that a nation or kingdom will be uprooted, torn down and destroyed, if that nation I warned repents of its evil, then I will relent and not inflict on it the disaster I had planned. And If at another time I announce that a nation or kingdom is to be built up and planted, and if it does evil in my sight and does not obey me, then I will reconsider the good I had intended to do for it. Now, therefore, say to the people of God and those living in Jerusalem in the world, this is what the Lord says. Kind of scary. I'm preparing a disaster for you and devising a plan against you. Would you read the next words out loud? So... Turn from your evil ways, each one of you, and reform your ways and your actions. He said, if we would repent, he would relent. Would you say those words? If we would repent, he would relent. And our nation needs us to publicly, uh, to repent and turn to God. Pastor, you're passionate about this. I am because I believe that what Jeremiah said is true. And what he said is a promise to us that if we will turn to God, he will bless our nation again. And I plan on turning to God. How about you? And I plan on doing everything I can this week to tell my neighbor and my friend and my co-worker that we believe in a God who still redeems that you don't have to live by fear alone you can live by faith and you can express that to the world the world is desperate for you for the sons and daughters of God to rise up and not be angry and as I say all around here not be weird come on somebody but to be clear and what we believe, to be clear in what is right and what is wrong, to be clear in what is sound doctrine. 
And so today, I know I got you in that serious mode already, okay? I got two jokes. They're coming later, all right? That was one of them, all right? I just needed you to know, all right? What do you need to know about the end of the world? Get something to write on, download the notes. Here's the first thing you need to know. The end is God resetting everything. The end is God saying, according to Isaiah 66, that I'm going to make a new heaven and a new earth. The Bible says in Romans 8, these are not on screen or in your notes, that the whole earth is groaning, awaiting its redemption. So when we are redeemed, God is going to redeem this whole world and he's going to hit reset on all of it. Can you imagine that we go back to Garden of Eden, everybody? Some of y'all who hate picking out clothes on Sunday going to love the garden again, right? You're just going to shine. You're going to shine with the glory of God. That's joke number two. I got a third one, y'all. The end is God resetting everything. It's not something to be afraid of. It's the ultimate do-over. But he's going to do it over with people who have accepted his son. I also need you to know that eternity is happening for everyone. So it's happening for you. It's happening for me. There isn't anyone who's going to miss out on eternity. The challenge is, where will you spend that eternity? Because when God created a life, he created an eternal life. Such a powerful thought. Such a powerful thought to digest today that that when God created you, he created you to, to live forever with him. And he created an opportunity for us to live in the best place possible. Ecclesiastes chapter three and three, the writer says, God has made everything beautiful for its own time. I, I love that opening line. That's a refrigerator verse right there. If you're struggling with your value and your beauty, God has made every one of you beautiful. Amen, everybody? If you didn't say amen, you need to say it, right? If you don't believe it, how is anybody else gonna believe it? God made everything beautiful for its own time. He has planted eternity in the human heart. But even so, people cannot see the whole scope of God's work from the beginning to end. We have a hard time connecting the dots because what we have set before us is wars and rumors of wars. Instead of a healthy diet of God, you said, and I believe and God, you did it in the past, and you'll do it again. We've set our eyes on fear instead of faith. And today, what I want to say to you very, very clearly is that if you'll set your eyes on faith, and you'll believe what Jesus said he's actually going to do, you'll begin to have hope again. You'll begin to be grounded again. Instead of rocking to and fro, that sound doctrine will nourish your soul, and you'll have peace. And so today I want to give you six truths about the end that are very, very clear in Bible, in the Bible. I want to, I want to make sure that you got six truths and you say, well, pastor, are you going to tell us when it's all going to happen? Yes and no. Take some notes with me. Number one, first truth, most important truth. If you're going to have sound doctrine regarding the end, number one, you need to know that Jesus is coming back. 
There isn't a single Christian denomination that doesn't believe this. You know that? If you grew up Catholic, Jesus is coming back. You grew up with a Baptist mama, Jesus is coming back. Where are my Methodists? Where are my Lutherans? Where are my, you know, <laughs> Pentecostal? Come on, raise something right there, right? Right, where are you at? Where are you at? Like, no matter where you come from, everyone agrees that the greatest confusion that happened with Jewish people is that they thought the prophecies about God coming were going to happen all at one time. And they didn't recognize that those prophecies were telling us that Jesus was going to come two times. And so they looked down the, the line of history and the biblical prophecies and they, they saw a king in the back. And they thought, well, certainly when he shows up, he's got to overthrow the government. And if he doesn't overthrow the government, then he can't be the Messiah. And what they don't realize is that if you turn history in a way where you can see it sideways, those prophecies were saying, when I come on the first time, I'm going to win hearts and minds. When I come on the second time, I'm going to change the world like you've never been changed before. You won't be able to deny who I am. Jesus is coming back. Matthew 25 and 31, when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit upon his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered in his presence. Jesus is coming back. And there's no getting around it. There'll be no denying it. He's coming back. Number two. The only sign that Jesus gave was that the gospel will be preached in the whole world. They wanted to know, God, when so-and-so invades so-and-so, we know that you're coming right after. And Jesus said, I don't even know that much. Only my father knows. But what I imagine, Jesus is up there standing at the ready saying, come on, God, when, it, when is it time? When is it time? The Bible says that he's interceding for you and I in heaven. He's praying. He's a mediator saying, God, I know what that feels like. I know how hard that is. They need me to go back and fix all of this. Jesus is coming back. But in order for him to come back, we've got to preach the gospel in the whole world. Matthew 24 again. And the good news about the kingdom will be preached throughout the whole world so that all nations will hear it and then the end will come. The word nations is a unique word. It's actually ethnos in the original language. It's, it's referring to different ethnicities. And what he is saying there is that Jesus is coming back and the only sign that we know it's getting closer is that the gospel will be preached in every ethnicity. That every person will have an opportunity of some sort to hear the gospel. So because of technology, we're in a generation that it's happening more quickly than any other generation. And right now, every Bible translation group decided to come together and unify under one roof. And we are currently only 2,000 translations away from every single language and people group having the Bible that they can read and hear and learn about Jesus. Only 2,000. Some predict that we're 15 years away from someone being able to pull up their phone in every single language and reading what the Bible says. I, listen, we, we take it for granted that we speak the same language and read the same Bible because if I was up here giving it to you in Latin, three of you would know what I'm talking about and you would have to trust this guy a lot. 
leaves room for lots of manipulation. Y'all got me? All right. So what the Bible is, what is being done with the Bible is that we're pushing it forward. So you want to know what the sign is? The gospel will be preached. The gospel will be preached. And that's why we invest in unreached people groups. That's why we put more missions dollars in places that don't have the gospel than places that have it. Number three, third truth about the end, you just got to know. That is a judgment is certain, but not to be feared. Judgment, the Bible says, is going to be one day. And this is one of those moments kind of blows my mind when you read the Bible, because the Bible is very, very clear that Jesus is going to judge the whole world in one day. And so it makes me kind of wonder that when we all kick the bucket here, however we kick the bucket here, that we just fast forward all the way to this one moment with God where we stand before him on that day. Second Corinthians 5 and 10 says, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each of us may receive what is due us for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. One day we're going to stand before God. And on that judgment day, there are going to be two judgments. The first is what is referred to as the great white throne of judgment. We read about it in Revelation chapter 20. And at that judgment, that is what Matthew 25 is talking about, where he's going to separate the sheep from the goats, the people who follow Jesus. You want to know when you stand before God, how the test is going to go? It's a two-part question. Y'all ready for this? I'm giving you an open book today, right? Number one question, what did you do with my son, Jesus? Number two, what did you do with what I gave you? The first judgment is going to determine whether you get the second question at all. And the second question is known as the Bema seat of Christ, where you sit before Jesus Christ and he, he, dealt, he gives out rewards. He's going to like, hey, I saw your serve day in 2022. I saw you serving the widow over here that nobody saw about. I saw the person you fed and the person you cared for. I saw your tithes and offerings, right? And the Bible says that God's going to hand out rewards based upon what we did with our life. This is pretty cool. So, so here's my prayer, y'all. Here's my prayer. That my reward just has a snowball stand on the corner, everybody. Right? I don't care if I got a street of gold or a street of silver. I just want a snowball stand on the corner so that the nectar of heaven can be readily available, right? I just, I don't know what I'm doing with snowballs right now. I'm in trouble, right? Listen, judgment for Christians isn't anything we should fear. Judgment is where God says, ah, you followed me. You followed me. This week, I read about three men who were in a terrible car accident. When they were in the accident, they, they all found themselves standing before St. Peter at the same time. And St. Peter opened the Lamb's Book of Life and said, let me see if I can find your name in here. Let me see if you pass the first question. Do you, do you know Jesus? And all three passed the first test. Pretty exciting. And, and so St. Peter, while he's kind of going through the processing, said, hey, I've got I've to make sure some things are in order. So like, tell me what you, what you hope people would say about you when they come to visit you on that day to celebrate your life. And the first one, he said, you know what? I just hope they say, man, he was an incredible doctor. He cared for the community. He made a difference. He really was, was an amazing man. And Peter's like, oh, that's great. I think that's good. And the, the second man, he said, you know what? I've been a math teacher my entire life. And I hope my students are there. And they, they say that I helped them understand math and grow and that I was a good father. So St. Peter said, oh, that's awesome. I think, 
I think that's it's beautiful. And the third one walked up and said, you know, I hope when they lean in and they look into the casket that day, they, that they say, look, he's moving. <laughs> Not even funny, but y'all laughed. <laughs> hey, y'all, we're going to stand before God. Don't be afraid of it. You're going to hear, well done, good and faithful. Enter in to the place of rest. I got a couple more. And as I always say, the piano man's already here. Number four, leaving early is our hope. You say, what do you mean? I want to die young? No, no, that's not what I'm saying. The Bible talks about a rapture of believers, that there might be an opportunity that some may skip some of the suffering that's going to happen in the world. And I just got to tell you, if there's, if there's an early elevator going up without some suffering, how many of y'all want to be in the early elevator, right? That's right. So our hope is, I, I, I'm preparing for being here in the hard time, but I'm praying like I'm going to heaven in the first elevator. Amen, everybody? First Thessalonians chapter 4 is where we find this description of a rapture. He says, we tell you this directly from the Lord. We who are still living when the Lord returns will not meet him ahead of those who have died. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a commanding shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet call of God. First, the believers who have died will rise from their graves. Then together with them, we who are still alive and remain on the earth will be caught up in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And then we will be with him. Say, we will be with the Lord forever, forever. I'm not certain about a rapture, but I'm hopeful. How about you? I'm hopeful. Number five, resurrection is living in a spiritual body. What's it going to be like when you go to heaven? How, I, am, am I going to be able to do some of those Jesus kinds of things? What's it going to look like? First Corinthians 15, the apostle Paul describes, he says, but someone may ask, how will the dead be raised? And what kind of bodies will they have? What a foolish question. <laughs> I love Paul, right? What a, I mean, come on now, really? When you put a seed into the ground, it doesn't grow into a plant unless it dies first. He's talking about us. And what you put in the ground is not the plant that will grow, but only a bare seed of wheat or whatever you're planting. Then God gives the new body he wants it to have. It is the same way with the resurrection of the dead. Our earthly bodies are planted in the ground when we die, but they will be raised to, to live forever. Our bodies are buried in brokenness, but they will be raised in glory. They are buried in weakness, but they will be raised in strength. They are buried as natural human bodies, that they will be raised as spiritual bodies. Our hope is that one day this, this back problem I got isn't carried into heaven. Amen, everybody? And your, your allergies aren't going to make it into heaven. Oh, that's a, whoo, come on, Jesus, right? Mosquitoes are gone in heaven. I'm believing, right? Not sure about cats. But dogs will be there, I'm sure. Number six, and we close. Number six. Heaven is our eternal home. Heaven is our home. This life, in light of eternity, is that fast. You're a foreigner. You're an immigrant. You don't belong here. You belong with him. 
Heaven is our home. We use the term heaven as a way to represent what Jesus is actually going to do. Heaven isn't just a celestial place in the clouds. When he resets it all, there will be a new heaven and a new earth. And Jesus said in John chapter 14, don't let your hearts be troubled. Don't don't fall into doom and gloom. Trust in God. And trust also in me. There is more than enough room in my father's home. If this were not so, would I have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you? I want you to know, hey, one hope, when everything is ready, when everything is ready, I'll come and get you so that you will always be with me where I am. And you know, you know the way to where I'm going. Today, we know how to get there. We confess with our mouths and we believe in our hearts and we turn to God and we are saved. And as we get closer to the end, don't live in fear. Live in faith because you are placed here for such a time as this. Would you bow with me online in the room with every head bowed and every eye closed if you're here today under the sound of my voice and you're far from God you're one prayer away from changing everything would you whisper these words say Lord Jesus I'm giving you my life and I'm asking you to be my Lord and my Savior God would you forgive me for my sin would you forgive me for trying to live this life on my own God, would you give me the power to follow you all the days of my life? In Jesus' name.